Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. I see what Pastor Frank was saying when he referred to you as those who had not been raptured. But I also realize that without the kids in the room, we are just two-thirds of our normal size in here this morning. So if you are right now finding yourself sitting alone or with more than two seats between you and the next person, I command you in the Lord Jesus Christ to move. Seriously, don't just smile at me and stay where you are. Please move. Let's be near our brothers and sisters. It's not your fault you're sitting alone. You don't smell bad, but let's worship together. And you'll understand this, especially in light of the message that's coming. Okay, so before I draw attention to those who are still sitting all by themselves. <clears throat> no, seriously, let, can you... Uh, Let's just be together, okay? And here's, here's the tension, guys, okay? I know, I know some of you are, don't like this kind of thing where, you know, I, I've been to churches where the pastor, every other sentence goes, turn to your neighbor and say this, or give your neighbor a high five, and I'm like, stop telling me what to do. You're not the boss of me. I totally get that. I try not to abuse that, but when there is a point to it, when there is a spiritual gain to it, there are times when I really must insist that we hear each other and we respond to one another. This morning, I want to continue our prayer series, and it's going to be a shorter message, but I want to give some guidance to when we come together in prayer. Right? Guidance for corporate prayer. And I know right now that sounds like a really dry topic, but I hope that you'll not fall asleep and you'll track with me, because I think you'll find in this message something that will speak to you. I think the Lord really has something to say to us this morning. I want to look this morning at a passage from uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 13 to 17. And the title of the message is Praying Together. Here's what it says. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. You know, if you think about it, there are so many things that we do together as Christians. Right? We eat together. We sing together. Think about when else in your adult life have you sung with other people? I, honestly, in Europe, they do it all the time. They'll be at a bar or at a gathering. They'll say, let's sing a song. And that's so European. But we as Americans, we only sing together at church or in a concert when our voices are drowned out by thousands of others, right? So it's an unusual activity, but we do it together. We look into the Bible together. We serve together. 
We even play together or even vacation together. There are so many things we do together because we understand that Christianity is not supposed to be pursued by ourselves in isolation. But in the midst of all that togetherness, one of the rarest things for Christians to do today together is to pray together. And if I were to ask you honestly, to challenge you, besides that, you know, like at the end of small group and everybody's already worn out from like an hour conversation, and then the, the person says, now let's try to pray together. You don't have much left in the gas tank. You're like, please don't drone on and on. Let's just quickly circle. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, think about it in your own life. Where does praying with other Christians regularly happen? Where do you go? In what setting are you regularly connecting with other Christians for the activity of getting on your knees or sitting in a chair and just crying out to God together as a community? You know, in the aftermath of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension to heaven, I want you to think about in the span of like 43 days, think about how crazy the lives of the disciples became over just a a period of over a month. They watched their master be brutally murdered, and then they mourned him while they thought he was dead. And then he rose again from the grave and appeared to all of them. Thomas even got to poke his fingers through the nail holes in his hands. And then after 40 days of like walking together with them, uh, being taught a little further, they watched him fly up to heaven and disappear. I don't know about you, but maybe because we're so used to having grown up with the Bible and thinking about that, that's like, yeah, whatever, the death, resurrection, ascension. So simple. If I lived through that, I'd be freaking out. I don't think I could ever be normal again if I watched that. And what we find is that the disciples are no different. They were freaking out. They were trying to process all the stuff that had happened. And as a result, in Acts 1, we, we read here that they huddled together in this little room And they wouldn't leave. They needed to just be together and to process everything that happened and then to be ready for the commissioning God had given them. So it says they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Some translations say they were in one accord. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So his closest followers and his immediate nuclear family huddled together, and what they did every day was they just dropped on their knees and they cried out to God together. It was that joining together in prayer that held them together, rooted them to each other, and rooted them to God at a time when their lives were turning upside down. You know, it's good to be together in all kinds of other activities, but I want to tell you that when we are not praying with one another— something is lost in our experience of knowing and following Jesus. If praying with other Christians in any setting is not a regular part of your life as a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you this morning to make a decision to do something about that. You know, I met a guy once who really wanted to get healthier And I told him, just for starters, just as a first step, spend two weeks without drinking Coke. He just wouldn't do it. He refused. He said, that cannot be the answer to my problems. 
I said, of course, it's not the whole answer, but it's the easiest place for you to start. Just start there. And again, that's what I want to say to you. I've, I think you've heard challenges like this before and then promptly put them in the delete file in your heart, right? I mean, I've done that. People have said, I want you to make a commitment. I'm like, yeah, okay. Delete. I'm telling you, honestly, that if we're not praying together with other Christians on a regular basis, something very important in the way we grow spiritually will be missing from your life. And so I want to encourage you again, if that's not a regular part of your life, I want to challenge you to figure out some way to do something about that starting this week. And I'm not necessarily putting in a plug for our Wednesday prayer meeting because those of us who come are very happy together. It's like a nice little group. You can join us, of course, and all are welcome, but it doesn't have to be that. But I want to encourage you, find some other place, some other context to be praying together with other Christians. Now, if you're paying attention, a big part of the passage I just read for us is uh, dealing with the spiritual gift of tongues, the supernatural gift of tongues. It's what Pastor Eugene Peterson refers to as the, the, the personal prayer language. That way that God has of catching someone up and helping them find words in a supernatural language when they're too overwhelmed to pray with their minds. I would like to teach on that someday, but this morning, I'm not going to treat that whole section of the passage. Instead, I want to look at this passage to gain some wisdom on what it is to pray together with other people. And one of the things I find really interesting in this passage is that it presumes that when we pray together, we're supposed to be listening to each other. You know, in in society, in polite society, it's normally impolite to eavesdrop on what other people are saying, right? I don't know if you're comfortable during fellowship time, if you're having a conversation with someone and someone else walks up with their donut and they're just like... And you're like, "Um, excuse me, this is a private conversation. You can either join us facing us or go away because it's impolite to eavesdrop. That's normal society, but in prayer meeting... That's exactly what's supposed to happen. See, I don't think corporate prayer should be 10 people sitting in a room silently praying to God in the same space. I think that's a mess. There's no point to doing that. When we come together to pray, it's praying audibly that makes a difference because we're meant to hear each other. And why are we supposed to hear each other? Because Christianity was never designed to be a solitary faith. It was designed from the ground up to be pursued with other people together. You cannot grow as a Christian without including other people in the process. Now, that doesn't mean you need other people involved at every step. But if other people are ripped out of the picture, you're going to be stunted in your growth as a follower of Jesus. So when we come together in prayer, as we hear what other people are praying, God uses it in a tremendous way to stretch and grow our faith. So that just for a moment, as I listen to their prayers, it's stretching my horizons, and I'm momentarily seeing God and seeing life through their eyes. And i got to tell you from my personal experience how profound this can be. You know, at our prayer meetings, a topic will be set, or Pastor Frank will will establish a passage of Scripture, and we'll be praying in response to that. But even though we're all thinking about the same topic, as I hear the other people pray, I'm always shocked by how differently 
my brothers and sisters approach that same topic. In fact, many is the time that I'm, let's say the topic is, let's pray for, for health, for our health. And immediately my mind goes to a place of, Lord, um, please protect our health, make us healthy, make the sick whole again. And I'm always thinking in that line, and then someone will say, God, this human body isn't going to last forever. So I pray that whatever time we have left, we'll use every last molecule of ATP, whatever it is, to serve you and glorify you. And I think, okay, my mind was going someplace, but as I heard my brother or sister pray, they took me to a whole other way of looking at this topic that in my mind I wouldn't have gone. And that's the beauty of the church, is that we're like people who see things from all different angles, and when we verbalize what we see, we see the whole picture much more beautifully. I think the beauty of corporate prayer is that as I listen to someone else pray, my faith grows because I don't see God from every angle. I cannot see God the way your life's journey has forced you to see God. Let me give you one example. I have lived, and I've said this before, right? I've lived a charmed life. I have had almost no significant pain in nearly 50 years of life. Emotional pain, relational pain, physical pain. Yes, I've had hurt, but I've never had the kind of hurt that threatened to unravel me. Some of you are like, then shut up and sit down. We're so bitter at you. I I get it. Something in me is incomplete because in my 50 years of life, I haven't suffered to the point where I've questioned God and my faith and all of that. So as a result, when I think of God, I am shaped and colored by my life's journey, and I see God a certain way. So when people pray with me, they always say, I'm so blessed by your optimism. What else do I have? It's all I got. I turn the jukebox on as one record, happy, happy, happy. And so that's the way I see God. But some of you, your lives have been rocked by a pain you didn't think you could recover from, and God has carried you to the other side of that tunnel. And that has forever shaped the way you see God. That is your story, and there's no other one available to you. So when you see God, you see the one who carried you when you couldn't walk. You see the one who, when you couldn't breathe, he forced air into your lungs. He got you through it, and forever, that's the way you'll see God. Your story shapes the way you see God, and that's not available to me. So when you pray, and I hear your prayer, I see God in ways that my life could never have seen. There's such beauty in that, and I'm so thankful that we've had different journeys and different paths, because when I hear you pray, I see my God through your eyes And I am enriched by it. So one benefit of hearing each other in prayer is that I hear what you're praying and my faith is stretched and it grows. I see God through a new set of eyes and it's glorious. Another benefit of praying together, listening in on each other is sometimes it's not just what the other person prayed, but it's how they pray. Let me give you an example. Dr. Tony Evans. How many of you guys know Dr. Tony Evans? Every time I hear him on the radio, I want to send him like a Costco bag of cough drops. That man's voice is going to give out one of these days. He just goes for it every time he preaches. And my own throat feels raw after I listen to him. But he is a powerful man of God. And he tells a story of a time when he was leading an open-air gospel crusade at a football stadium in South Carolina. 
25,000 people were in attendance. It was an open-air stadium, and the people had already gathered, and the leaders and organizers and speakers were all in a private room, and they were praying and praying hard because when they looked at the skies, it was dark with storm clouds. People had been planning this for over a year. 25,000 people had shown up to hear the gospel, and it was about to pour down on everybody. And so you can understand that they were praying. And all these nationally known, very important, powerful men were in a room praying. But as they were praying, they were saying things like, Lord, if it is your will, would you please hold back the rain? Lord, if it would please you, would you? Lord, we know you don't have to, but if you wouldn't mind. And in the midst of all this, a little frail woman named Linda couldn't take it anymore. And she boldly interrupted this room full of important men and said, excuse me, could I lead the prayer just for a moment? And they said, well, go ahead. So here's how Dr. Evans records what happened next. Linda prayed, Lord, your name is at stake. We we told these people that if they would come out tonight, they would hear a word from God. We told them that they would hear from you Now, if they come, and you let it rain, and you don't control the weather, then you will look bad. We told them that you wanted to say something to them, and if you don't keep back what you can control, the weather, someone could say, your name is no good. And then she threw in a line that caused us all to look at each other out of the corners of our eyes. All these pastors like, "Uh uh-uh. And she said, therefore, right now, I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the rain to stop for the sake of your name. Well, they said amen to that. (laughs) Like, nobody else could pray after that. And these men were deeply moved and humbled by the prayer little Linda had lifted up. Here's what happened after that prayer. Following the prayers, we all went up and sat on the platform The sky had now become entirely black behind us. A guy who had been assigned to communicate directly with the weather bureau said, the showers are coming, there are heavy thunderstorms, and they are coming right at us. It is now 7 p.m., the music is beginning. It is time to start the crusade when massive thunder and lightning surrounded us. People began to stir in their seats. Some even started to get up and open their umbrellas. Linda was on the stage with the rest of us. A quiet look of expectation covered her face. Then something happened that I've only seen once in my entire life. The rain rushed toward the stadium like a wall of water. Yet when it hit the stadium, it split. Half of the rain went to one side of the stadium. The other half went to the other side. Then it literally met on the other side of the stadium. All the while, Linda sat there with a confident look on her face. The rest of us, the preachers and leaders, just looked at each other. Then we looked at Linda, and Linda looked straight ahead. And he goes on to say, this isn't a story someone told him. He was there. The hair on the back of his neck stood up. He felt he was in the midst of something supernatural and miraculous. And the reason I share that story with you is because sometimes when we're praying with others, What we're struggling with is I'm saying the right words, but I don't believe a single one of those words coming out of my mouth. I know this is the right thing to say, but I can't believe it. 
And someone else supplies for me the faith I can't get for myself. As I see the certainty with which a woman named Linda prays to God as though he's really there and as though he's really powerful without all the fine print and the asterisks, if it's your will and if it will please you, if you don't mind. And she just boldly cried out to God like he can control the weather. And I think that faith deeply honored and moved the heart of God. And then God moved the rain clouds. And sometimes the benefit of going to a prayer meeting with others is that when I don't have faith and I listen to the faith and the certainty and conviction in my brother or my sister's voice, I grow. A voice inside me says, why don't I ever think of my God with such conviction? Why was I so tempted to hedge my bets to pray a safe prayer when my sister just cried out to God as though there is no other place we can go? Do you get that? The beauty of praying together as we listen in is not just the content of the prayers of others, but the deep, resounding faith, that unshakable faith that some other Christians have in that season. And someday it may be my turn to be the one who has faith that my brother or sister does not have. Let me close by saying this. Not only do we listen in on each other's prayers, but when we hear someone say something and the Holy Spirit causes that to resonate, right? Like when, when that person says something, I'm like, you know, that's good. I really agree with that. That makes me feel like that was truth. I want to say words like that from my own heart. And when I hear that, what Paul says is we should be saying the amen when we hear that. I love praying with Alan Eaton because when someone else is praying, I always go, amen. Amen? And it just makes me feel so not alone in the room. Like, I'm trying to connect to God, but my brother is right there saying that what I said is not heresy. What I said isn't blasphemous, but that it speaks not just to my heart, but to his heart. And I'm deeply encouraged by my brother standing with me. Alan, I didn't prepare you, but since you're a fellow pastor, it's professional courtesy. You just let me off on that one. All right. Amen? All right. See, the reason that we speak our prayers out loud in each other's hearing, it says, Paul says here, because the other person is being built up as they hear your prayer. They're being edified. In other words, my praying to God can result in the spiritual growth of another person. And as that person is receiving the blessing of my prayer, one of their responsibilities, one of their joys is to be able to say amen out loud. By the way, that's an important part. Say it out loud. I know some people who, if Jesus came back, they would just say, in my heart, in my heart, I'm so happy. They just, they're not talkers. About 10 years ago, I don't know if you guys know, my favorite Christian rap group is Cross Movement, and I got connected with them, and I wanted to invite them to our church for a concert. And then, just when I was about ready to pull the trigger, I had this flash of vision of the MC up on the stage going, raise your hands in the air. And all of us would be like, mm-hmm. so blessed. And I just thought how odd it would be for Cross Movement to lead a concert at our church. How just off the fit might be. Just because there's a point at which someone says, put your hands in the air. And you're like, I don't want to. I don't feel that. That's not my culture. It's sort of like that moment 
when you've got to fart really badly and you're in a car with other people. Are you with me? Did I wake you up? Everybody's been there. You're in a car with two, three other people and you've got to let one go so badly and you've got a choice to make. On the one choice, on the one hand, is the choice to say, i got to be me. This is about me. It's building up pressure. It's making me, it's, it's toxic. If I reabsorb that into my body, I'm going to be poisoned. i got to let it out. And so if you're true to yourself, there's really only one solution. Boom! Yes, amen. You share that with the world because the most important thing is to be true to yourself. And then there's another choice that says, but what I do to be true to myself will affect other people. And you all know that if you're not the one who's got a fart, nobody likes that when you're trapped in a car. So that's your other choice is, do I think about others and the effect that I have on them, or is my main goal to be true only to myself? I'm not saying to you that it's wrong to be true to yourself. In most cases, that's what you, exactly what you ought to be doing. You should be true to yourself. But in a corporate setting where the purpose is for us to be edified, your behavior, your choices, your conduct, your habits affect other people because we're not deaf and blind. We can see you. We can hear you. You don't get to be invisible. <laughs> not, in a, not in a family. And so when the Bible, when the Lord says to us, look, I'm telling you this is what I want you to do. Pray out loud so that others grow through your prayers. And when you're growing and you're resonating, say the amen. That was the whole problem with the way they were misusing tongues in this church, was that someone could speak in a tongue and no one could interpret it. So one guy's going, shabada, habada, habada, habada. And the other people are going, he looks really excited, but we have no idea what's happening there. He's really into it. But nobody else is part of it. It's like listening to some, watching someone on the bus with headphones and just going, yeah. And you're like, I wish I could hear that music because he's into it, but the rest of us are excluded. And that was the whole problem is you may be blessed all by yourself, but when we're praying together, you're not supposed to be blessed all by yourself. You could do that at home. When we're praying together, we are blessed together. So what I'm saying is whether your personality is the kind of person who does motions on Sundays, whether your personality is the kind who says, you know, that's right, preach it, uh uh-huh, amen, whether that's your natural wiring or not, there comes a point in our Christian journey when for the sake of edifying others, we speak up. We verbalize what God is doing inside. That doesn't mean you're faking. It doesn't mean that you're doing something dishonest, it means you're aware that your conduct has a spiritual effect on the people around you who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And so when the Lord speaks to us very clearly and says, this is what I want to see when Christians pray together, we got to be mindful of it. At some point, the word of God has to trump our personality. When the word of God speaks, I can't stand in front of that word and say to God, yeah, great, but you know how you made me. That's just not my personality. And God says, that's the journey of growth for you, is that though this is challenging, when I say this is how people grow, you've got to learn to do that. How about you? How many of you would naturally say that that's more your style? Like you don't mind verbalizing, saying amen, being like, 
How many of you are, say, <laughs> I'll know because you're the only ones who will raise your hand. Everyone's like, uh, that's just not. <laughs> yeah, our church has quite a few introverted people. How many of you, raise your hands, like, at least this high, are just not that, that's not you. Like, you don't like doing motions. You don't like being told to turn to your neighbor and say a word. You don't like saying it. I understand that. Very uncomfortable. Um, I get that, Truly. I was an off-the-charts shy kid until seventh grade. I don't know what happened in seventh grade, but I came out of that cocoon. But I knew what it was like to be paralyzed by a desire to do something, but then at the last minute I couldn't do it because that's just not who I am. I think the word of God and the authority of God and the promise of God has power to get us beyond our personality. So I want to encourage you The next time you find yourself praying with other Christians, don't leave them alone in their prayers. Think how awkward it would be in a conversation if somebody poured out, like let's say you're in a conversation at Starbucks, and you just pour out your heart to somebody. You're practically weeping, and then you look up and they're staring back at you, silent, cold, just, oh. Think how awkward a moment that would be because you've poured out your heart and there's nothing coming. It's like you're alone in that. That's the way you can feel sometimes to pray at church with other people. It's like I'm pouring out my heart, I'm crying out to God, and just once in a while, it would be good to hear someone else say, I agree with that. You've just prayed not only for yourself but for me as well. Amen. That makes sense to me. I want to say that with you. Amen. You are not in this room by yourself, brother. And the encouragement that I feel when others give the amen to what I prayed, the encouragement they feel when I've given words to what they could not say, that's such a way for us to grow. And if you're not getting that, I want to encourage you to get that because that's one of the best ways that God helps us to grow spiritually. I said earlier, Christianity was never designed to be a solitary faith. It's never meant to be something we do by ourselves. It was always designed to be something we do together. And as we move now into a time of communion, I I want to invite you to carry on the spirit of understanding that this this is not something we do individually and in private. In fact, I don't think that there's a setting in which we do communion all by ourselves. That's just called a snack if you're doing it by yourself. It's in communion, what we're saying, okay, what we're saying is, Lord, we remember you together. We remember you together. Some of us who um, grew up in Asian households that were very traditional know that on the anniversary of grandpa's death, everybody gathers from the extended family, and there's a meal, and there are prayers lifted, and we think about an ancestor who's died. My family never did that, but I, I know that many families have done that growing up. And it's like that. We gather together to commemorate somebody who has made a big impact in our lives. What we're saying in communion is that Jesus is the one thing that everyone in this room can have in common. At every other level, there will be some people who are kind of like you and some people who are not like you at all. Some people dress up for church. Other people roll out of bed and walk in. We're different. Some are loud. Some are quiet. All of that. 
We're so different. But what we're saying in communion is, Jesus, you are the one who actually holds us together. There's no other reason for us to be in this room except that you're the one thing we hold in common. We all have an experience one way or another of you in our lives. And if we don't know you personally, that's what we've come to this church to get. We're on a journey of getting closer to you, to know you. And when we take communion, we're doing it together to say, don't ever forget, we're not here because we just like each other a lot. We're here because Jesus loved us, and he called us together to be his family. That's what we remember together. So here's a way that I would like us to do communion this, this morning, is I would like you to take a couple minutes just to reflect on who Jesus is personally to you. And it's okay to be honest. If Jesus is a name starting with a letter J that you hear at church a lot, and that's all he is right now, that's okay. You can be honest about that. But maybe Jesus is coming into your life in a more powerful way these days. And so what I'd like you to do is think about what Jesus has been to you, how he's shown up and acted in your life lately. And then as you think of some things, what I want to ask you to do is if you feel led to do it, I don't want any pressure to go around a circle, make everyone do it, but if you feel like you have a Jesus story to share, some story recently of a way that Jesus drew near to you, revealed himself to you, made you feel close to him, maybe even performed a miracle in your life, would you share that just briefly with the people at your table in the spirit of giving honor to Jesus? We can't conjure him up. He comes to us. He draws us to him. When he shows up in our lives, it's always a gift. It's always a gift. And when we talk about it, we're helping others grow and to see him. And so as you sit at your tables, if you think of a story, a a story of Jesus showing up in your life or drawing you a little closer to him, just share that a little bit with others. And as the others are sharing, here's the encouragement I want to give you this time in response to the message. Don't just stare blankly and go, oh. Encourage each other. Ask a question maybe. Or just say, you know, that's really, really great. Just verbalize what you're feeling inside, even if that's not your personality. I want to encourage you, as someone takes the risk to share, encourage them, let them know they've been heard and that Jesus is more visible because of what they said. So I want to, as the music plays, I'd like to give us a couple minutes to do that, maybe five, ten minutes. We'll see how the room is looking. And so I'll pray for us right now. And then we'll go into that, and then we'll come back together when I call you up here, okay? Jesus, we remember you because you are the most significant person in each of our lives. For those who don't realize that, we pray that we will hear you and see you more clearly through the testimony of others. And at these tables, as we share, call to mind the examples of how you've broken into our lives. Help us to encourage one another as we give you that glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.